The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Thank you guys for being here. Let's um, open up in prayer and we're going to jump in. Uh, got a little feedback going. Here we go. Am I ready to go? All right. No. All right. Father, we just thank you for, God, just your presence, Lord. Rather, God, there's a lot going on, a little going on, whether people are sick or healthy or guitars are working or not working, God, we know that you're always working. God, you're always with us. And Lord, we pray for, uh, God, just your presence to be here. Lord, we pray as we get into your word, God, that you will help us to understand, God, not just your word, but Lord, who you are, Father, and what that means to our lives, how to apply it, Lord, how to live it out, Lord, how to experience, Lord, this relationship with you, God, that we're inviting others into. So Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I posted online that our message today was going to be Imagine 2020, so we are going to really talk about just the vision of what's going on over this next year. And I'm just going to tell you that um, that's not what we're going to do. So uh, I was going to do that. I had full intention of doing that. I had notes for that. I was geared up for that. And then yesterday I was on my prayer walk, uh, just uh, praying, listening to music, and I just felt very strongly that the Lord said, don't do that. I said, well, that's great, because I already am ready to do that. And he said, well, I don't want you to do that. I want you to share something else before we go there. And kind of the picture that God gave me is when you're going on a trip, or you're getting ready to do something with someone, say, hey, let's go do this together. And that's kind of 2020. Imagine what God can do in 2020. We're going to go do this together in the Lord's strength and partner with him. And he said, well, before we go, I want them to know this about me. It's kind of like defining the relationship. You know, we're going to say, this is who I am, this is who you are, so before we get started on this mission, we don't have to figure that out later, but you already know, you're already connecting, you already know what my motives are, you already know what my heart is, you already know why I'm here, and why I'm calling you here, and so uh, we're going to spend time on that today, and then next week we're going to jump into really kind of some of the pieces that I see happening in the church and through the church over the next year, and just some of the things I feel God's calling us to do together, Uh, but today we're going to just jump into uh, this message about God's heart, about God's heart, his motivation, and the invitation that he has for us to partner with him. And we're going to do that by going to the story of Moses. Uh, how many of you know who Moses is? Raise your hand if you know who Moses is. Okay, so you know who Moses is. I'm just going to give you some background on Moses for those who maybe don't know him or maybe know a little bit of him. Moses was born into tragedy. Moses was born into a family at a time of captivity in Egypt, where the Israelites were there, and the government of Egypt, the pharaohs and that, had made a decree that if a boy was born, that the boy was to actually be killed at the birthing stool. So the minute that that baby came out, you checked it. If that was a boy, kill it right there, done. Because they didn't want any more Israelites growing and men with strength growing to potentially overthrow their government. So they wanted, if it comes out, if it's a boy, just kill it. And then it moved from there to if it's a boy, then don't just kill it, but if it's a boy, throw it in the river to drown. We want him gone. And so this was the practice. If, if, a, if a midwife came, a doctor from, the, from Egypt came and said, okay, we're birthing this, it's a boy, grab it, run it to the river, and throw it away. We're just going to let it drown and be done. That is what Moses was born into. And that's important, and I really believe like God directing me to this message, not just for the church, but I'll be honest with you, I believe there's a couple people here that need this message. So the rest of you guys are here because God wants to speak to a couple people that are here specifically, but we can all benefit, okay? But I really believe there's a couple people here that God wants to hear some of these words, so I'm going to emphasize some of them as I preach. But Moses was born into tragedy. And I believe there's some people that are here today specifically that were born into tragedy born into a situation where you're like, do you know what? I didn't have a chance. 
I wasn't even meant to be here. I wasn't meant to succeed. I wasn't meant, I was born into a very difficult situation. Moses' family was living in captivity, and even the captivity wasn't enough. Tragedy. There was more. Because beyond being born into slavery and captivity, he was born into slavery and captivity, but then born into a place where the actual official decree was for him to be thrown away. This is what he was born into. So if you're here today and you say, man, I was born into a mess. I was born into tragedy. I'm born into a family that didn't want me. I'm born into a situation where I don't belong. Or if you're online watching with this, you're born into something that doesn't have a chance. It's not meant to be. It's not good. What can come out of that? Well, Moses is the story of a life born both in captivity and in tragedy. Go on. He was raised, check this out, raised by the enemy. Because after he was born, he was supposed to be thrown in the water, but they snuck him away and they put him in a basket and they floated him down the river. And he was pulled up out of the river They actually brought the mother in to nurse him and gave him to the Pharaoh's home because somebody, like finding a puppy, said, I like this one. I want to keep it. And so he was actually raised in the home of the government that had decreed for him to be thrown into the river. So he was born in tragedy and then raised by the enemy. Some of you have lived and grown up in a situation where you feel like you've been raised by the enemy. Been raised by somebody that didn't want you. Raised by somebody that doesn't care. Raised in a place where you aren't wanted or don't belong. There's been negative impacts on your life. As he got older and he had the opportunity, the Bible tells the story of Moses that Moses fled. He fled in fear because he started to realize as he got older and came into adulthood that I don't belong here. I don't like this environment. I don't like what's going on. I don't fit here. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. And this desire to bring some kind of breakout, some kind of freedom, some kind of deliverance started coming up in his heart. He didn't know how to do it. He tried to do it in his own strength. It created a bigger mess. And then they were coming after him to punish him, to kill him. And he ran, and he fled Egypt, and he went into the desert. And then he was out in the desert, and that's where he was living now, living out there in fear, and then that's where God called him. He was going through the desert, and the Bible says a story of he saw this burning bush, this bush that's on fire, but it's not actually disintegrating. It's just burning. And he looks at it, and he says, there's a burning bush. What would you do if you saw a burning bush out in the middle of the wilderness? Nobody around. He was afraid. And the bush actually speaks to him. And the Bible talks about he falls on the ground. And the bush says to take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. And he falls on the ground. He takes off his sandals. And he's there. And it's God speaking to him. And so here he is, this guy that was born into a family of captivity. Born into tragedy. Raised by the enemy. Running away in fear. And he finds himself, of all places, out in the middle of a wilderness where there's really no great purpose. And he's sitting in front of this bush that's burning it, probably wondering, am I going insane? What's happening? You know what? I mean, imagine yourself there. This has been a miserable life. And now here you are, you had a heart to deliver people, you had a heart for something better, and in the end you wind up just in the desert, sitting in front of a bush. The bush is on fire, it's talking to you. Like, what is going on? And this is the Lord speaking to him, and he's calling him to do something great with his life, and to go back and deliver these people from those that have 
wanted to end his life, to go and become a deliverer. He has no weapons. He has no tools. He has no ability, no confidence, no army, nothing to accomplish this with. And if he goes back there, he's a wanted man, which is why he fled. So he responds to the Lord in fear. I can't do it. I don't even know how to speak. I stutter. I can't do anything good. This guy has no confidence. He's got God speaking to him out of a burning bush, saying, I'm calling you to do something. He can sense the presence of the Lord. The power of God is there. And he still says, I can't do it. Not me. You don't know who you're talking about. I stutter. I got problems. I got issues. You can't use me. This is a life that he has. So God literally has to give him a partner to be his speaker. He gives him Aaron to go with him and to be the one that speaks. And he sends him back into this land to deliver these people. And he goes back and God uses him to do that. But as this is happening, and he delivers people, and he works for God, and he does all these things, he eventually, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but the book of Exodus, he goes back, God's power comes, he shows revelation, he ends up bringing all these captives out into the desert, out of Egypt, sets them free, the waters part, they cross the waters, the waters fold until the armies, the power of God's with him, he makes it across the water, he's out in the desert still, and you would think by then that this guy has it figured out. And then we come to Exodus 32, and he's talking to God, and he says, you know what? I don't want to go unless you're with me to continue to, to work on your behalf. Unless you're with me, we don't want to go forward. Unless you're with us. And he says this in there. He says, show me your glory. This is a guy who now has been serving the Lord for decades. And the question he asked for God is, show me who you are. Some people have been raised in a church. Some people have served God. They've ministered. They've done things, but they don't know him. Some people have fled out of tragedy captivity, broken homes, and they're trying to do good things. They're trying to make it right. And they can feel this calling of God on their life to change or to, to bring change or to do something different or to have value. To have, and Moses is saying, who are you? Who are you? you? You called me, you delivered me, you delivered all these people, but who are you? Besides a burning bush, besides a guy that gives instructions, He's trying to get at the heart of who this person is. See, this is what Jesus came for. Jesus came in order to rip the barrier open between us and God so that we can come face to face and we can know him. We can have a relationship with him. We can walk, not just work for him, but know him. Experience relationship with him. Find out what his heart is for us and to walk in that. And so this is what he came for. And so we're looking at this verse. And so it goes on. It says, this is Exodus 32, but God is speaking to him. And God says, do you know what? You can't see me face to face. But he says, go hide in the crack of this rock, and I'm going to pass in front of it. And you can see me as I go by. Why couldn't you see him? Well, because God's power and his glory and his amazement is so great. If you've ever stood in front of somebody that you had great respect and awe for, and you walk in there, and you, like your nerves start going. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, somebody that was famous or somebody that you just wanted to meet, and you're just like, oh my gosh. Somebody that was really cute. I don't know. You're just like, oh. Imagine standing before the one that created literally everything. Not just the Jesus like we talked about before, the one you can fit in your pocket, the little tiny one that lives in your heart. Talk about the God that made everything. God says, I'm so awesome. I'm going to put you in here. I'm going to pass in front of you. I'm going to let you catch a glimpse of me. You're going to get to know who I am. And this is what God says when he says, I'm going to show you. 
He said, I will cause my goodness and my mercy to pass in front of you. This is who we're talking about, guys. We're talking about the God of the universe that made everything, and he's calling you into relationship with him. He's calling you to partner with him. He's calling you, as Jesse said, to say yes. And the core of who he is, the person of who he is, when he has an opportunity to show us anything that he could show, so Moses said, I want to know who you are. He said, you know, I'm going to show you my glory. What's the glory? The glory is like the amazing part. This is the best part of who I am. This is the, the richness, the awesomeness. This is the glory, the majesty of who I am. God could show anything because remember, he is everything. And what does he choose to show? Did he bring a big fireball out? Did he bring lightning down from the sky like a Zeus? Did he cause the waters of the ocean to furl up and go back and show his power over the water? Did he cause it? He brought his goodness and his mercy. Because that was the number one thing that he wanted to show Moses. This is who I am. Why is that important? It's important first for us. We have to come into a real knowledge of and relationship with Jesus before we can share that with other people. If we're just sharing head knowledge, we're just sharing an education with people. We have to be able to share with people, this is who he is. I have experienced his goodness and his mercy. I haven't just heard it preached. I've lived it. And we have to be able to say that we have lived it. That we know it. That we've experienced it. That we walk in it. In Revelations, they're talking, the, the angel of the Lord is talking to the churches. And he says that you've lost your first love. And so I'm going to put the lamp out. Because he doesn't want people drawn to a light, and when they get there, it's just instruction. The Bible doesn't say we have a ministry of instruction to the lost. It says that we have a ministry of reconciliation to the lost. It's a relational ministry that God has called us to teach people and show people that he has died to remove their sin in order to bring them into relationship with him. It's what he's after. And I think, well, I've never been wanted. Yes, you have. That's a lie. You may not have been wanted by your parents. You may not have been wanted by your friends. You may not have wanted, been wanted by your school or by your boss. or by. You may have not even wanted yourself, but God wanted you. He wanted you enough to make sure that you were born, even though it was in a bad situation. He wanted you enough to make sure that you survived the tragedy that you went through, just like Moses did. He wanted you enough to make sure that once you got through some of that, that you could hear his voice calling you from whatever funky, burning bush you heard it. I don't know what yours was. He calls all of us. My burning bush was seven or eight pastors sitting, standing around me in a circle trying all their counseling tricks on me, and none of them worked. And one guy finally says, would you just ask God to show you if you've done anything wrong? Could you just do that? Because you're not listening to us. That was my burning bush. Said, sure, whatever. Started to pray that man, just boom, just as God started to show me, this is who I am. This is who I am. And he showed me the same thing that he showed Moses. He showed me first who I was, which was a total wreck. And then he showed me himself. And he said, my goodness and my mercy is here. 
to take it. This is what God's called us to. Moses was an oppressed person called to set people free. But what about the oppressors? Well, we're going to look at that. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, is the opposite of Moses. He was raised in a great home. He was known. He was uh, developed and discipled and brought up and tutored under the great teachers of his time. He was being groomed for a leadership role. And so Paul comes, he became a persecutor and an oppressor of others. He would even have people that were following Jesus, he would help to have them drug away and to be killed. He was operating in the same capacity as Pharaoh. In the sense that he was helping decree that those that God was calling should be killed rather than live. And God came to him. And God blinded him and literally physically blinded him. He had to go and get help. And when he goes and God brings back revelation, God calls him and he calls him into this ministry of reconciliation. And now Paul has been serving God just like Moses had been serving God for all these years. And it comes to this place, Paul in Philippians chapter 3, this is what he says. I'm going to read a pretty big section here. He says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. He says, watch out for those dogs, those who do evil, those mutilators who say that you must be circumcised to be saved. What Paul is saying, because back then, in order to be saved, you had to be circumcised, which is a physical thing I'm not going to describe right now, but it's something that you had to do to be saved. Okay? But when Jesus came, the Bible talks about circumcision of the heart. God takes things away from our heart that causes us to then have a love and a compassion for him, and he makes a marking in our heart. But there were people going around saying, that's not enough. Jesus dying for you isn't enough. You turning your life to Christ isn't enough. You still have sin. You're still stained. You're still dirty. You're still messed up. And you cannot be fixed just by turning to Jesus. Can't happen. If you really want to be fixed, you've got to come and let us circumcise you. Otherwise, you haven't shown that you're worth what God has paid for you. This is what's going on. This is Paul speaking to that. And he's not talking in great Christian language. He's talking with some passion here. Because listen to his words. Watch out for those dogs. He's not talking about dogs. He doesn't say when you go outside, be careful not to get bit by a chihuahua like the Bertels. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the other religious leaders. He said, be careful that you don't get attacked by those dogs. Those people that are telling you that what Christ has done for you is not enough. That you've got to do something more. He says that they do evil. They mutilate the flesh. And they say that you must be circumcised to be saved. He says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. It's a heart thing that God's doing. He's marking us there. He says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence. Check this out. Listen to this amount. We put no confidence in human effort. If you look up the, the Greek on that, you look up the word no, do you know what it means? None. Zero. Nothing. It means that if you give your life to Jesus today, that in the standing of heaven, you are just as saved as I am, and I've been doing this for 20 years. I've served hard. I've given money. I've given time. I've given sleep. But if you give your life to Jesus right now, and yesterday you were a criminal, in the eyes of God, you're the same as me. That's not fair. And God doesn't care one bit that it's not fair. Because God chose for it not to matter what you do, but for him to be the one that pays the total and complete and absolute price for reconciliation. Well, I'll come to Jesus when I'm ready. I'll come to Jesus when I'm cleaned up. You're not getting ready for a date. I don't want him to see me with my hair not done. 
He's already seen it. The Bible says God looks on the outside, but, or man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. God's already seen your heart. He's seen how dark it is. He's seen how messed up it is. He's seen what other people haven't seen. He's seen not only what you've done, he's seen what you've thought about doing. God knows. And that is the condition you are in and the condition you were in when he loved you. When he died for your sins. The Bible says why we were yet sinners, messed up, broken, a disaster that Christ died for us. It doesn't say once you got cleaned up and fixed up and met him halfway. It's where you are now as a disaster. Born into captivity and tragedy and full of fear, full of mistakes and messed up. That is where God comes and meets us and cares about us. And when he does, he does the same thing as with Moses. He brings his goodness and his mercy. Go on reading. It says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. And then he goes on to talk about how awesome he is. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. <laughs> I mean, he says, don't, don't, don't boast in your own self. But if we could, just FYI. I got a lot of reasons to. I'm pretty awesome. So he goes in to talk about it. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight, eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, and I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. He says, I remember, he says, I'm a member of the Pharisees, that's the, the big religious leader group, he says, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. In other words, I do everything I'm supposed to do. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. I didn't just go, I was zealous, it was in my heart. I worked hard. And as for righteousness, he says, I obeyed the law without fault. I mean, I did this. I once thought that these things were valuable. He says, but now, check this out. He once thought it was valuable to have done so much of his own good. But now, he says, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. In other words, what I tried to pay with turned out to be worth nothing because when the real payment showed up, it was so complete and perfect and amazing and awesome that mine was just garbage. Couldn't even be added. It wasn't a supplement. Like, well, I'll give a couple of bucks and you can cover the rest. It was just worth being thrown away. If that's the case, why work any longer at saving up for salvation? Because what's being saved up in the effort and the works and the goodness is worth nothing anyway in the eyes of God. It says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of, check this out. I'm going to read this part, but remember this. Paul's already been working for the Lord. He's already been planting churches. He's already been doing all these things that God's called him to do. Remember Moses. Moses had already been delivering Israelites. He'd already been leading the people. He had already been doing all these things. And he said, God, I'm doing all this, but show me who you are. You get a peek into Paul's heart. He says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of not just being saved, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not just being in church, not just trying to live a better life, Knowing him. It's the knowing of God, not just the knowing about God. It's the knowing God. Paul's like, I'm doing all the work, but I want to know you. This is what I'm after. He says, for with him, or it says, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. 
He's like, I'm willing to give up myself and my desires and my abilities and my passions and all those things because I want to know who he is. I want to live in his life. I want to walk in that. This is what I want. I want to not just do for God, but I want to lay myself aside so that I can know God and do with God in relationship, in connection. It says in verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. You come into church and you look around and you say, man, there's a lot of people and they're better than me. There's a lot of people and they're perfect. There's a lot of people and they've achieved so much. Paul is writing Bible. We have people in our church that have written blogs. He's writing Bible. And he says, I have not already achieved this. In other words, later isn't the time. Now is the time. It's not when I'm better. It's not when I know how. It's not when I get fixed. It's not once I've changed. It's not once I feel better emotions or I think I can do it. It's now. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Right now is the time to respond to the call of God in your life, not later. If you don't know Jesus, right now is the time to come to him. Why? Because it's in his power and in his strength that the other things develop. I don't love people and care for people because I got ready and I built it up and then God came and helped me to do what I was already trying to do and make it better. God didn't superpower my power. God brought power where I had no power at all. I was selfish. I was an addict. I was angry. I was bitter. God brought something into nothing the same way that he created everything. The Bible says in Genesis that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep and that the earth was formless and void. There was nothing but chaos and darkness and nothing. And then he spoke and light came. That he spoke and in nothing something came. I don't know how God could make something out of the mess that's in my heart. Out of my confusion, out of my messed up brain, out of the way that I think, out of all my screw-ups. If you really saw it was inside of me, you would know that I can't really be fixed, that I can't really be changed and nothing good can come out of this. God's been doing it since the beginning. He's always brought something out of nothing. He's always brought order out of chaos. He's always brought light out of darkness. It is who he is. It is what his goodness and mercy does. To say that God can't do that, well, it can't start until I've really got something there that I can really tangibly look at and say, this is life. God can do it out of absolutely nothing. The Bible says even before we were in our mother's womb, he knew us. God already knew everything. He knew who you were. And you know what? Science is, is trying to catch up to God. Because now we look at science and we see, oh man, this whole DNA code, this has this whole person's personality in it, it has their looks in it, all that stuff. I mean, you could read this and figure out all kinds of stuff about the person before they're even born. Why? Because it's been written. It's a code. Somebody put it together. God knew you. God knew what your struggles would be. He knew what the hardships would be. He knew that he was enough. The Bible says his arm is not too short to save. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, that I've already reached perfection, but, this is what he does, but I press on to possess that perfection for what Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Whereas I don't look at my past mistakes, I don't look at my present shortcomings because I'm not already made perfect, but I do this. I keep my eyes on Jesus, I accept what he's done for me, and I put one foot in front of the other. And if you can't manage a foot, do what my daughter does. She just scoots. I don't know how she does it, but she just scoots. She won't crawl. She won't walk. But you turn around and she's in a different area. Just move forward and be a yes to God. I'm moving forward. Lord, I'm moving forward. Man, I'm coming as a mess, but I'm moving forward. I'm coming as I am, but I'm moving forward. 
I don't know how to fix this, Lord, but I'm moving forward. You wanted me, you got me. Now it's your problem. (laughs) You knew what you were getting into. The Bible tells us that a man should not go and build unless he's counted the cost. Otherwise, once he has begun to build, he realizes that he doesn't have enough and he's a fool to everybody. Well, that's a message to us. Don't make a decision to do something unless you've counted the cost and you know it's going to cost me something. That's true. But it's true of God as well. God doesn't decide to move on your life and begin to build something unless he's already counted the cost. He knows who you are. He knows what the process is going to be. He knows how long it's going to take. He knows how much work it's going to be. And he's already decided to do it. And the Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the coming of Christ. In other words, he's counted the cost. And he's in for the long haul to bring something amazing and good and full of mercy and love into your life if you'll let him. 2 Corinthians 5.13 says if we are out of our minds, this is Paul still talking, if we're out of our minds as some say, in other words people were saying they're crazy. Crazy about what? Crazy about the concept that God came to earth and died for people's sins, sins that were against him, David says in Psalms, Lord, it's against you and you only have I sinned. Every sin that we commit against a person is really a sin against God because it's God's law that we're breaking. So the one that we've offended came to earth to die for people, to set them free from their sins, to clean them up, and then to have relationship with them. And people are telling them, you guys are out of your minds. It's not how it works. And he says, well, if we're out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. So if we're even just trying to stay composed enough to talk, we're just trying to help you guys. That's what we're trying to do. For Christ's love compels us. It compels us. It draws us. It pulls us. It forces me to do this. Remember when I first gave my life to the Lord, I was sitting on a Saturday morning. It was a few years after, but it was towards the beginning of my walk. I was sitting on a Saturday morning making calls trying to recruit single moms to a single mom's outreach. And in the middle of these calls, like two hours into calls, finally dawned on me, what in the hell am I doing right now? Me? Spending a Saturday morning calling single moms, seeing if they want to come get help? Man, there's so many better things for me to be doing right now with my time as a guy. I could be golfing, I could be out shooting guns, I could be watching football, I could be doing whatever. Back in the day, I'd be out doing bad things. Like, there's so many things I'd be, why am I doing this? Because the love of God compels us to reach out and to touch the lives around us. I go to these apartments, man, I sit in these apartments that I'm at right now, man, I'm in there, I'm surrounded by kids, sometimes I'm going to lose my mind. Don't believe everything you see on Facebook, <laughs> including my posts. They're not all that great. You see the picture of a kid stirring the pot right before it pours over and burns 10 people's feet and we're all heading to the hospital. I mean, you just, it's not always what it looks like. What am I doing this for? Because God loves those little kids, man. I was in there one day a couple weeks ago, and I was in there, and my original plan was, man, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to love on these kids. It's going to connect me to their parents. I'm going to get some parents' love, get some parents in here. We're going to teach some parents about Jesus, and then we're going to have all these parents in here. It's going to be awesome. And I was getting frustrated. I've been there a couple months. I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, man, I'm not really getting as many connections to the parents as I was hoping for. I'm setting up chairs. I'm getting things ready. And kids literally come before they're, they come hours before it's supposed to start, and they'll come to the door. And John was there one day. They stood for an hour outside of the door, face pressed against the glass. Can we come in yet? Ah, uh, you can come in at this time. Because I had other stuff I had to get done. That's what I'm doing. Oh, you can come in at this time. Okay. Do that, right? Remember? The tap in the glass. And I turn around, they're like, no, it's only been five minutes. You got 55 more minutes. <laughs> this is literally what happens. Mr. Andy. You got 47 more minutes. <laughs> We're not close. One kid broke in, ran across the room, over to John, was sitting at a table, ran over, put his arm around him, hugged him, and then ran back out. He just ran in for a hug and left. 
But I was setting up one day, and I'm kind of dealing with a little bit of frustration at the time. This is a few weeks ago, and I'm like, Lord, where's all these adults? I thought you called me here. And I felt God so clearly say, why are you looking over the tops of these kids to see their parents? I said, well, what's that mean? It took me right back to Jesus, the God of the universe, walking on this planet, and people were trying to push the kids away. And he said, let the kids come to me. I'm not in there because it's fun. I'm not even in there because it pays good. It pays terrible. I'm in there, man, because God loves those little kids. That's our call. That's what we're saying yes to. We're saying yes first to God's love in our own life and allowing his goodness and mercy to come into us. And then we're saying yes to taking God's love to the people around us. Man, this city is full of broken and hurting and lost people. People struggling in loneliness and addiction and all types of activities that they're not getting any hope or benefit from. People suffering domestic violence and abuse. And 2 Corinthians 5.13 says, we're out of our minds, as some say it's for God, if we're out of our minds, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. In other words, God died for everyone. And therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live, that's us, those who have come to know Christ, should no longer live for themselves. We're not saved for a better life. We're saved for his life. And the life of others. Those who have come to know Christ, those who live, should no longer live for themselves. In other words, my life isn't about me anymore. It's not about what I can do. How I can make my life better. It has nothing to do with it anymore. But they should live for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We understand who he is. We understand that he's the God of the universe. We understand that he died for us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It says the old has gone. The new is here. Not the new is coming. The new is here. Not the old is going. The old is gone. In other words, when you give your life to Christ, the minute that you do that, he comes into your dirty broken, full of rejection, bitterness, abused, unwanted, selfish, maybe you're the abuser, whatever it is, he comes into that dark, ugly heart and he pulls it out and he puts a new one in. The old is gone, the new has come. And then he begins to renew your mind and change how you think and change how you do life. And I'm not who I was before I got saved. And praise God, I'm not who I was five years ago either. Because he changed my heart and then he began to renew my mind and change how I do things and change how I live and change caused me to become somebody who reached out and loved and cared for others more, less angry, less hostile, less selfish. It says, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors. Well, I skipped a verse. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a relational mission. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not just to us. It's not just about doing good work so people can think that we're good people. Our job is to reconcile people to him, not to ourselves. I really like Andy. He's a neat guy. He did some nice stuff for me. If that's all they ever got out of me, I didn't accomplish the mission. The mission was to use that relationship as an opportunity to tell them, you know what, who you really should meet is Jesus. That's who it's about. And it says, He's given us this message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you. We be- In other words, we beg you. We ask you. We're trying to talk to you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. It's like He's begging them. Another translation says begging. He's like, Come and be reconciled to God. Why live far off? He loves you. He wants relationship with you. He cares for you. He'll help you fix the problems once you're in relationship, but just come. That's our job. 
got to tell people to clean themselves up so they can come to Christ. Our job is to tell people, just come to him. Let him work in your life. Let him work in your heart. God will begin to do something. We trust God to do that. It says, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We all know John 3.16. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But it goes on to say, for he did not come into the world to condemn the world, for the world was condemned already. In other words, if this is a boat right here, God didn't come down on the boat and start grabbing people and saying, do you believe? And when they said no, he throws them in the ocean. You don't believe, then you're going to hell, you're drowning, you're dead. That's not what happened. God came down and people were already condemned. They were already in the water. They were already drowning in their problems and their sin and their mistakes and in the tragedy of life around them. And God came down and puts his hand out and he says, if you will believe, I will pull you out of the death that you're already in. That's the gospel. It's not a gospel of condemnation and rejection. It's a gospel of rescue and reconciliation. That's what God's come to do. So we can bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to ask you, if you're here today and you are not yet in a relationship with Jesus, you say, man, I want to come into a relationship with Jesus. I don't know why he wants me. But if he wants me, I'm in. Because he does. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. I just want to see you and pray with you and identify with you. I see that. I'm going to say one, one more, and then we're going to pray together. If you've maybe already known the Lord, but you've never really, you've been in church, you've been around, you've been doing stuff, but you have not really dove in to know God and to walk with him. You've just been trying to do the stuff. I want to pray with you too. You say, man, I want to know God. I don't even know how to do that, but man, I want to know. I want to know his spirit. I want to know what, like, what it's like to understand his mercy and goodness. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put somebody on the spot right now. Because I believe that we are, God's building a family here. I tell you, about a year ago, I had a message planned out for a Sunday morning. And on Saturday, the Lord said, don't preach that. I said, what do you want me to preach? Preach the gospel. I'm like, for how long? He said, the whole time. I said, why would I do that? And very clearly, the Lord said, because... I want Nicole to give her life to Jesus. And I came that next day, I preached the gospel, and at the end of the message, I said, anybody want to raise their hand? And nobody did. I said, okay. I said, well, if you want to give your life to the Lord, but you're embarrassed to raise your hand or anything else, just come up afterwards and I'll have somebody pray with you. And I had Susan and a couple ladies up here praying. And then Nicole came up, and two days later I get a message that says, I cried in that lady's neck, I should probably get dipped now. Because God knew. And yesterday, I had my message. I even bought props for my message right here. 2020 vision. I have a gift box with something in it for every person. I had it planned. I had it marketed. I had it out there. And yesterday, I'm on my prayer walk, and God says, don't preach that. Not this week. So why not? And very clearly, I want you to hear this, Carlo. Very clearly, God said, Carlo's getting saved tomorrow. It's the same thing. I've never seen anything like that. It's the same thing that happened with Nicole. And God said, preach this because I want Carlo to know that I love him. 
And so you just raised your hand. I saw that. I'm telling you right now, Carlo, God set this whole message up for you. Not that it's not for all of us to hear. It's the Bible. It's good for all of us. But God set it up for you, and I don't know why. But that is pretty, pretty awesome. And God's got a call on your guys' family, man, to reach lost and broken people. To show them the love of God. We're just going to pray. Father, I pray right now for Carlo. God, you guys just extend your hands towards Carlo and just pray for him and pray for Nicole and their kids and we're going to fill that last baptism spot on their mantle. Lord, we just thank you for Carlo, God. We thank you, Lord, that you loved Carlo, God, that you died for Carlo. God, I pray for his heart right now, Lord, as you begin to just do a transplant for him, Lord, and change his heart. God, in his mind, Lord, I pray that, Lord, the same way, God, that in the past, Lord, maybe some negative things came into his mind, and he said, man, I don't know even where this stuff comes from. God, I pray that he'll begin to experience, Lord, just things coming into his mind of your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love coming into his mind because I don't even know where this stuff comes from. But it just keeps coming. Lord, cause it just to spring up. God, spring up a well, Lord, within his soul. God, as your word says, Lord, let it overflow. God, let it just begin to pour out onto other people's lives. God, just cause, Lord, revelation and understanding of who you are and your goodness to come, Lord, from the inside out. God, we thank you for that, God. We thank you, Lord, for adding to your family, Lord, to our family today. And God, for others, Lord, that were here, Lord, that needed this message as well, and that were here, God, I pray that the things that they've heard today, the things that they've learned about you, God, the things that your Holy Spirit's speaking, God, that it'll get deep, deep, deep in their heart. God, let us do, Lord, what Jesse said. God, let us become, Lord, a yes church, Lord, a yes to salvation, a yes to relationship, God, a yes to you calling us to lay our life down and to live for you, Lord, every day, every minute, God, uncomfortable or not, God, just to begin to do it, Lord, we thank you for it, God, we thank you for the, the call to partner with you, not just to work for you, but to be in relationship and to walk this out with you, God, to be your hands and feet, to be your partners, to walk and to do this mission with you, Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, guys. We have uh, food and snacks and stuff out here. Birthday cake. Birthday cake. Whose birthday? Caleb. Ooh, ooh. 18th Your 18th birthday? Okay, stand up. <laughs> Just do it. Come on. The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free.